My name's Amy. I'm the um, student and young adults pastor here at Trent Vineyard. Um, so it's lovely, actually, to have all of you guys here. Um, welcome to Nottingham. It's fantastic to have you, you guys with us. Um, hopefully you are aware that the theme for the cause to live for this year is the idea of hope emerging. And I think, you know, as we were considering what, um, what that looks like, you know, what does it look like for us to be, to be the hope of the world, for us to be, um, as followers of Jesus, the hope of the world? I think one of the things that cropped up, I know uh, in my mind, and I know for Paul, was just like, oh gosh, isn't it hard at the moment at times to be the hope of the world in the culture that we live in, in the society that we live in? That feels like quite a, a challenging thing. You know, the society that we live in, uh, it no longer really follows the ideas or the ways of Jesus necessarily. Um, and so we kind of had this question you know, how do we follow Jesus in a society that is seemingly walking away from him? You know, how do we, how do, we do that? Um, and it, it caused us to think of this idea of like, how could we be resilient disciples, people who are able to withstand, people who are able to hold fast to Jesus in the midst of some of the cultural challenges that we face today? And you know, we've already heard it said a couple of times today, actually, honestly, at one point when Adam was speaking, I was like, should we sack our seminar off? I mean, yeah, he's just laying it down. She was just like, we should just play this again later. Yeah, it's just playing on repeat. Hopefully we'll be able to add to what has been said already today. But um, we've heard this idea of being kind of as if we're like in exile, right? So Josh mentioned that. And um, Adam, uh, really helpfully, was chatting a little bit about Daniel. Um, do we know the story of Daniel? So Daniel and um, all those guys getting sent off to Babylon, sent into exile. And one of the things that Adam mentioned, which is something that we really want to pick up on, is the idea that um, they were sent into a culture that was so drastically different from the way of life that Jesus, uh, sorry, God wanted, wanted them to live. Um, and and. Uh, something that, uh, as we were thinking about this question, something it made me think about was something that is in Jeremiah 29, right? So most of us probably know, do we know Jeremiah 29? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you. Before we even get to that bit, Jeremiah 29 effectively is, uh, a big chunk of it is like a letter that is being sent to the people in exile. Um, the, the, you know, Daniel and all those people who are in exile. And effectively, the premise of the letter is kind of like, you know, God is saying to you, you know, go into that place and sow into it. Go into that place and uh, start families and build businesses and, you know, like plant stuff and seek the welfare of the people. That's a really key thing that comes up in Jeremiah 29. And one of the things that I find really interesting is that at no point does God say, oh, guys, you're in exile, get the heck out of there. Like, you guys are in exile, you need to run. You need to pull yourselves away. You need to get out of that place. That's not the language that God is using. What God says is he says, seek the welfare, bless the people. He doesn't say get swept away with what the Babylonians are doing. He doesn't say get swept away with what is going on, with what everybody else is doing. But what he does say is invest. And as you do it, you will bless the people around you. And so I think for, at least for me, I'm sure, you know, Paul would agree that actually we're coming at this seminar and coming at all of this from a stance of, you know, we're not going to sit here today and be like, oh, culture is horrendous. We all need to get out of it. You know, that actually there are some amazing aspects to our culture that we'll come to later. But what we are saying is that actually in the midst of a culture that maybe isn't necessarily the one that God laid out for us, how can we be resilient and how can we be a blessing? So we're going to um, do a few things today. We're going to unpack, uh, I guess, a little bit about what the philosophies of our current society are. And then we're going to um, just, just look at oh, this kind of idea of, does how we live even matter? Mm. Like, does it matter whether we, uh, to use the kind of language of Babylon, whether we kind of 
assimilate to Babylonian culture or whether we stay true. Does that matter anymore? Uh, and we're going to look then as well, Amy just mentioned it, to, at some of the opportunities that living in our culture here in the West, in the UK, in 2021 has for us as we share our faith, as we see the kingdom of God break out. And then we just want to give a couple of keys as to, as to how we can live resiliently how we can live as resilient followers of Jesus. And then we wanted to just give a, a few minutes at the end to pray for one another. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, uh, there are moments where I feel full of faith. And I am like, Jesus, no name is greater than your name. No culture is more powerful than you. Your way is the best way. And then there are other moments where I, I feel quite overwhelmed. That I look at the state of society and I'm like, oh, Jesus, is there any hope? I've got a little daughter. She's actually just at the back over there, not to draw attention to my wife. She'll hate the fact I've just done that. <laughs> uh, but my little daughter, she's 13 months. And I've had those moments where I've looked into the future and gone, what kind of world is she going to grow up in as a teenager? Mm. What kind of influences is she going to have to battle? Is there hope? And so if, if we just want to, you know, so, so if that's how you're feeling, like that's okay. That is, that is the, the, uh, the journey many of us got, have gone on. And hopefully uh, throughout this seminar that you're going to sort of be equipped <laughs> to have hope, to have a new perspective on the situation of our culture and to not be overwhelmed. Jesus said, do not lose heart for I have overcome the world in John 16. And so actually when we, whenever we find ourselves looking at the state of society, the state of culture feeling overwhelmed, we need to remember Jesus has overcome it. We do not need to lose heart. And part of that is I think we need to reframe our, our mindset and our perspective of the world. Uh, I am, I've just turned, I said, I've just turned 30. That's not quite true. Turned 36 months ago. Uh, and kind of as I did that, I began to just reflect on life and sort of how things have shifted over the last 10 or 15 years. And I remember when I was, when I was in GCSE music, year 10, I had a really kind of very clear uh, moment where I was chatting to one of my friends in school. And he was a guy who, uh, we got on well. He was kind of into the party scene. He was uh, like on drugs. He was having sex with people. He was kind of going out and doing all this stuff. And it came up uh, in in our year 10 music lesson that he was like, oh, you don't do that stuff, do you? He was like, you don't, um, like, you don't have sex with people, you don't do, drug, uh, do drugs, you don't, you don't drink. And in that interaction, he was just like, whoa, I wish I could live like that. I really respect that. Mm. And that was, at, at that moment, it was, it was this kind of underlying respect for the Christian worldview. Mm. What I have seen shift over the last 10 to 15 years is that the Christian worldview now is not really respected. Actually, it's often seen as oppressive. And so I would doubt that many people, uh, when they were in school in the last few years, if they had that conversation, that it would have, se it would have been seen as hugely uh, positive. Mm. And what we need to understand is we are no longer the majority worldview in our country. Now, in reality, we probably haven't been for a long time, but I'd have said when I was growing up, my kind of general feeling was, well, Christianity is the majority worldview, mm. the, the majority view of our society. That's not the case anymore. Mm. We are the minority worldview. That's not a bad thing, though. That is really not a bad thing. What we need to do is we just need to grasp that and recognize then the potential and the opportunities that that, that brings. <clears throat> There's a phrase uh, that a guy called Mark Sayers and a guy called John Tyson have sort of co coined of being a creative minority. And it's this idea of when we understand, okay, well, in the West, Christianity isn't the major worldview anymore. And we are called to live as, um, as the minority worldview. Well, how do we then live? Well, we, we don't live with the assumption that everyone thinks what we think. Mm. Because they don't. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. I, it's one of those moments. Uh, to use the Babylonian language again. When our culture does things in line with a worldview that isn't of Christianity, it's like, well, of course. Like Babylonians live as Babylonians. So when we start to see the erosion of some of Christian institutions or Christian sexual ethics and things like that, it's kind of like, obviously it's disheartening in one way, but in the other way, it's like, well, come on, Babylon, catch up. Like, this is what you've thought. Of course you're gonna live like that. And then, okay, in that context, what does it look like to, to share the good news of Jesus, knowing that actually most people don't think what we think? So it reframes how we begin to address that with people, how we introduce them to the good news and so hopefully, as, as we kind of unpack some of this today, um, we'll, you'll, you'll kind of be equipped to go and do that. In Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul has this uh, great moment where he says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
And as Amy said, you know, it was great. it's been great being here over the last 24 hours and just seeing how Adam has brought it, how um, John and Debbie brought it this morning, and how Josh really spoke into it as well, of the, the battle that is going on in the philosophies of our society. And so what we wanted to do was just to unpack them a little bit, just quite quickly, just become aware of them. Because if, if we're not aware of them, then we're not aware of the things that are shaping us. And so, Amy, I think, I mean, yeah. you've got some great wisdom on this. Oh, my goodness, that's kind to say. Yeah, I mean, I think some of this stuff we, we're probably going to be aware of, but, but we may not even necessarily be consciously aware of. Like, it might just be a subconscious thing. And as we say, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I recognize that, I see that. And one of the things that Paul was just saying, actually, is this, you know, this idea of, like, almost, like, why are we surprised that, that you know, culture is almost kind of caught up with itself and... Um, you know, uh, I think somebody mentioned earlier about the idea that we do live in a, a postmodern society. And effectively, what that means is that what came before the culture that we currently have uh, was modernism. And so much of modernism was in this idea of like, um, you know, kind of like following like the age of enlightenment. This is could get a little bit nerdy. Um, Stay with me. Uh, following on from some of these ideas of stuff like the Age of Enlightenment, right? So, like, um, scientific thinking, facts, figures, all of those things are super important. We now live in a post-modernism era, right? So, we're living in a time where we're almost kind of reacting against all that modernism stood for. So, uh, you know, that idea that has already been mentioned today, like, you do you you know, this is my truth. It's like, actually, we're in a place where people are able to base their decision-making and their understanding on, on their own feeling, on, on, on their own stuff. And actually, we're kind of reacting against stuff like facts and figures and all of those kind of things. And we've we started to deconstruct some of the things that came from society um, that, that, that we, we previously had, you know, that are probably our grandparents, the kind of society that those guys lived in. And um, you, you potentially, uh, you might be aware of this, you know, we've started to deconstruct things like politics, you know, people don't really trust politicians necessarily. We don't necessarily trust authority figures, research. I mean, just everything that has come with COVID has been so divisive because everybody thinks that they know exactly how the pandemic should have been dealt with and exactly what we should be doing. We've all got an opinion, don't we? Everybody in this room will have an opinion on what we think would have been the right thing. We don't necessarily just see the scientists and trust what they say. You know, the media, I mean, fake news is just like a huge deconstruction of the media. And then also, people are starting to deconstruct things like the church. You know, we live, we do live in a post-Christian society. And what that means is it doesn't mean that like everybody who came before us was a Christian and now they're not. But what it means is that things like going to church or Christian values being um, upheld and respected in people's morality and the way that they live their life in government, in society, those things aren't really that prevalent anymore. And so we do live in a post-Christian society. And um, just like a final thing, just to tag onto that, just to give us a bit of an understanding of the kind of culture, the kind of society that we're dealing with, um, and that we're probably experiencing, um, is that as we are um, in the geographical West, so all of the cultural stuff that we're experiencing in the UK is, is going to be different to other nations. It's going to be different to um, many nations that are like in the, in the geographical east and elsewhere in the world. But what we experience in the West are a few different cultural patterns. So one thing um, that we experience is um, individualism. You may have noticed that, you know, the role of the family the idea of like a family structure is not quite as important to us. You know, it's about um, the self. It's about what I want, my desires, my dreams, where I want to go with my life. Freedom, we have so much freedom. Oh my goodness, we have a crazy amount of freedom. We have the, the uh, opportunity to make choices that so many people in the world do not have the opportunity to, to do. You know, there is so much freedom. I can decide what I want to do with pretty much every single area of my life. 
And then the, the last thing um, is just touching on that, um, you know, postmodern situation. And actually, uh, you know, we are in a place where we are forming what we want to think. So nobody is necessarily telling me how to think, although actually the reality is they are. But from my own perspective, you know, it's like I can choose, I can decide how I want to think. You know, you, I, don't, I don't have to base what I think or what I feel on anybody else. I can choose, I can make those decisions. Um, and so, yeah, they're just a few little things that just give us a, a little bit of an idea of, of what the cultural moment looks like for us. And something I just want to want to tag onto that is, um, well, what well, two things? W one of them is you might have heard Adam <laughs> say it a few times where he's like, "The algorithms are out to get us," type thing, and it almost it almost sounds like a little bit kind of conspiracy theory. And th this, <laughs> th th I'm not knocking him because I'm agreeing with him, because. What I don't think we realize is, if you're like, how many of us, if we have a question, one of the first things we do is we just Google it. Yeah? That, yes? Yes. Most of us in the room, we just we jump onto Google. Mm -hmm. And say, look, I, you know, let's, I'm, I'm not making any kind of statement here, but let's, COVID, and there's the, uh, the uh, vaccines and anti-vaxxers and things like that. It, the algorithms of all of our content, like, it watches everything we do. And so if you are someone who is very pro-the vaccine, and you Google something around it in, in uh, kind of around the question of it, some of the first stuff it's going to bring up to show you is stories of, uh, like, people who weren't vaccinated who have died. And who have, like, healthy young people not vaccinated. Who, and and th that's this kind of the angle it's going to bring. Whereas if you're an anti-vaxxer, the algorithms kind of know what you're interested in, what you're looking at. So it's going to feed you the first things are going to be healthy young people who got the vaccine and then had uh, a heart condition off the back of it and died because of the vaccine. Google is not unbiased. Now, I'm not knocking Google. I think it's an absolutely wonderful and very useful tool in many ways. But we just have to be aware that it is feeding us something. And, this is, and the key, I think, for us to be resilient disciples, and it's something we're gonna, um, I'm, I'm going to touch on just right towards the end, is about discerning, is about discernment. How do we discern the information that we're getting that's shaping us? Because if we're not aware of that, then we just Google it and go, okay, well, here's the unbiased top thing. That must be right. Sorry, Amy, did you want to say something? No, it's so good, Paul. I just wanted to throw something on, on that idea as well. You know, um, I last year I read a fantastic book called Faith for Exiles. It's by some guys who um, are involved in Barna, which is a Christian research group. Um, and, and one of the things that they say in, in their book, Faith for Exiles, is instant, instant access to information is not wisdom. Instant access to information is not wisdom. You know, guys, it is so important that we discern what it is that we're looking at and the information that we're taking in. And um, a statistic that I heard uh, recently um, from a guy called Tim Olford, who's amazing, he works for Elim um, and the Limitless Conference that they run. And um, one of the things that he was uh, saying was that the average millennial consumes over 3,000 hours of digital content a year. Only 150 of those hours were Christian in nature, which is a rate of 20 to 1. So for those of us who are following Jesus, the likelihood is that we are consuming over 3,000 hours of digital content a year, and only 150 of those hours are going to be Christian in nature, which means that the vast majority of information that is probably shaping us is not necessarily coming from Jesus. It's not necessarily coming from the Bible. It's not necessarily coming from the truth of Scripture. And it, it may not be that all of those digital hours are bad things. You know, like I have loved re-binge watching Friends on Netflix over the last year and a half. Um, not that Friends is always great, but um, just to throw that one out there. But it, it doesn't mean that all of those hours are inherently bad, but what it does mean is that with every one of those hours, that is something that is, that is forming us. You know, I was um, just looking up earlier in, in Matthew 6, you know, it talks about like the eye being almost like the lamp to us and it's like Jesus is effectively saying like you know what we are looking at what we are looking into it affects us it affects our hearts it affects our minds um, and it influences us absolutely this is something I say all the time in, in my local church in Cardiff and so anyone here who's from Cardiff they'll be like oh 
I'll pause on this again. Yes, but I love over there. It's, what is shaping you? What is shaping you? Are you aware of it? It was mentioned this morning, I can't remember by, by whom, but the, the idea that we are just constantly being shaped and we need to be aware of that. The, the last thing that I just want to um, touch on in terms of cultural philosophies is, is around this idea of tolerance and what I think we, we really see in, um, in, in the current cultural moment that we're in is that there is just this overwhelming pressure to tolerate everyone's view and opinion. And really the kind of underlying some of that is this idea that to, to be kind and to be loving is to not question them, is to not push back on them, but is actually ultimately to endorse what they think. It's, you know, it kind of summed up, Amy's already mentioned it, you do you. That fundamentally we're just saying, hey, you know, well, for me to be kind, I can't, I can't challenge you because that, that would be rude. And that's just, that is just not the way of Jesus at all. What I love is that, that Jesus, he always started with kindness and compassion with people far from him. So if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see uh, one of the strictest moral codes <laughs> probably ever, ever written, ever, ever given. You know, thing, things like, if I look at lust, if I, sorry, if I look with lust at another woman, I have committed adultery on my wife. That's, that is an incredibly strict sexual ethic. And so Jesus lays out this really strict moral code but then if you read uh, the kind of following chapters, you will see Jesus' interaction with people who fall way short of this moral code. And what does he do? He starts with kindness and compassion. And then he speaks the truth to them. So an example of this, John, John 8, a story many of us will know well. The woman caught in adultery. And Jesus comes and he says, well, hey, you know, you without sin cast the first stain. And obviously no one casts the stain. And then... Then he says, well, neither do I condemn you to this woman. And then he says, go and sin no more. In our society, we just want, neither do I condemn you. Full stop. Get on with your life. That is the message that our friends want. That is the message that society is telling us is a loving and kind thing to do. If you were ever to bring some advice to someone or bring a challenge to someone, that you're not being loving... That is, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? Let's just put a really practical example. If, if I have a friend who's an alcoholic, and uh, they're, they're, they're a recovered alcoholic, but you know, they're still in that kind of struggle of addiction, and then they're like, you know what, actually, I'm, I just really, I'm just gonna start going to the pub. I think actually one drink is fine. That's not gonna be an issue for me. Is it loving or kind for me to go, oh, hey, like you do you, great, I'll come with you. Is it? No. It's loving and kind to be like, Hey, are you sure that's the best decision? Are you sure that's a wise decision? Where do you think that might lead you? Is that going to help you walk in freedom from alcoholism? See, it's not always loving and kind to just endorse someone's view and endorse what someone's thinking. But that is the message that our society is giving us. And so then as Christians, when we see not even just people outside of the church, but people in the church beginning to compromise on the truth of Jesus... I don't know about you, if, if, if you're anything like me, there are moments where I found it really hard to be like, well, can I challenge you? What are you gonna think if I challenge you? But we, what we need to do is reframe and re-understand that actually to be loving and to be kind and to want the best for someone is to speak the truth, is to love them towards truth, to love them towards Jesus, to his way. Because you know, Amy and I, we passionately believe that the way of Jesus is the best way for human flourishing, that God has an intended order for his creation and so what we're trying to do is we, we're not trying to pile judgment on anyone who's not living in this way. We're just trying to invite them into, into a way in John 10, 10, fullness of life. Jesus, I came to give you fullness of life. That's what we're trying to invite people into. Yeah, absolutely. And um, something that um, Katia Adams says is she says that we should be preaching an offensive message in an inoffensive manner. And ultimately, the way of Jesus to... A lot of aspects of our society, aspects of our world, potentially does feel offensive. You know, we've talked about that already, this idea that we have vast freedom, and there is freedom in Jesus, but there may be many ways in which our society sees the way of Jesus as not being free, of being restrictive. You know, Adam was talking this morning about the idea of, like, actually constraint, and that 
for many of us in that moment probably felt jarring, right? The idea of that word constraint, oh my goodness, that feels really jarring because our society is so vastly free. And so it's like, actually, there are aspects of the way of Jesus that probably do feel a little bit offensive, but it's, you know, we, we're not here to be the ones offending people. You know, if people are offended by Jesus, they'll be offended by Jesus, but ultimately, hopefully, they shouldn't be offended by us. We're not here to be the ones that are offending people. We're preaching an offensive message in an inoffensive manner. And I think that is such a helpful message for us to make us check our motivation. Because I know for me, there are things I see in society that do sit opposite to the worldview that I have kind of crafted in my faith. And there are moments that I almost, I kind of want to be like, oh, this is so bad, the moral decline of society, this is so terrible, it's outrageous, how are these people living this way? And, and this judgment starts pouring out of my heart. And, and it's not necessarily that that judgment is, is wrong, but actually that maybe my motivation in it is wrong. That then am I, am I wanting to call something out to prove that I'm right and that my worldview is right? That am, am I wanting to have this discussion with someone just so that I can sort of seem intellectual and go, hey, well, look, look at how much reading I've done upon this issue and actually you're just not very enlightened, are you? Or is my motivation... I want you to know the truth of Jesus. I want you to encounter the one who will set you free. The one who is worth everything. Because if, that is our, if that's our motivation, then we can start with kindness and compassion. Sometimes we need to reframe what our motivation is and what, what's, what's shaping how and why we're saying something. And start with kindness and compassion and love people towards truth. It, it's not void of that. But it's just holding both together. Yeah, I think you're so right. It's holding, it's holding both together because the, we also need to remember that for, you know, for, for many of us in this room, in this space, there'll be as, aspects of culture that do have a real pull on us. You know, for some of us, we're not necessarily in that place of, you know, kind of that stirring feeling of like, you know, uh, conviction or, you know, what it, whatever it is. For some of us, the pull of culture and the things that our friends are doing and the things that the people around us are doing is the thing that feels the most powerful. You know, I remember when, uh, when I was a student, when I came to university, when I was 18, 19 years old, um, some of the most difficult things that I found to navigate were uh, things like drinking, and also uh, things like relationships. And I found it so hard as a Christian to navigate some of those things. You know, I desperately loved Jesus. I desperately wanted to follow him and serve him and love him. But at the same time, I was so desperate for the affection and the inclusion of the people around me that I just couldn't, you know, like Adam was saying earlier, I wanted to say yes to Jesus, but I could not say no to those things. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't say no to those things. And so I was coming into church on a Sunday and I was worshiping and I was loving Jesus. And then in the week I was going out with my friends and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna get drunk tonight. Next thing you know. Or, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm not gonna kind of get involved with any guys. I'm not gonna, you know, pursue that kind of thing. Next thing you know. And I'm like, Jesus, I just feel so conflicted by this. And I remember um, one of the things that really transformed things and changed things around for me was when I stopped seeing it as like a behavioral thing. Like it's not as if like in the face of all of these cultural challenges and pulls and issues, Jesus is like, you just need to behave right. You just need to be a good person. You just need to do the right things and then you'll be following me, then you'll be loving me, then you'll be serving me. What he wants is our hearts. He wants your heart, he wants you to love him. And as you love him, choose to follow him. Choose to lay all those things down for the sake of him. You know, uh, what Jesus says to his followers is he says, take up your cross and follow me. 
That is a huge sacrifice. But what it means to follow him is to take up our crosses. What it means to follow him is to do that, is to take that sacrifice. And, you know, I think, I think that's the thing that we need to, like, this isn't just like an intellectual thing of like, oh, how do I understand culture and how do I behave in it and what does it look like to be a Christian in it? It's like, how do I pursue and love Jesus in it? That's the thing. He wants to transform your heart. And I think if you're in the room and you're in that place where the, the, some of the things in culture, some of the ways uh, that culture says to live it is really sort of pulling your attention and your attraction, uh, an encouragement would be to just ask, where, where does that lead? Where does that way of life lead? Because uh, one thing that culture really, the kind of the messages that we're receiving is, is that the greater freedom we have, the greater our life will be. You're free to do whatever you kind of indulge, any passion and desire uh, you have in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled, in order to find peace. Yeah, it doesn't take very long really to look at the society we live in, does it? To, to see that that way of life doesn't really lead to that. Often idols and, and, and things that are counter to God's way, they seem really attractive. They promise you everything in the beginning, but ultimately they deliver nothing. And so just ask that question, where does this way of life lead? Does it lead to wholeness? Does it lead to trust? Does it lead to uh, forgiveness and mercy and grace growing in me? Or does it lead to greater anxiety in comparison? Mm. Does, it, does it lead to just uncertainty? Mm. Does it lead to me becoming a more judgmental and harsh person? Does it lead to me actually uh, developing sort of almost like feelings of hate towards people and, and certain people groups who think differently to me? Mm. Well, if that's true, I, I, I'd say that's maybe not the best thing for you. And that's just a really helpful question to just begin to ask of, okay, how is this thing shaping me? Both in terms of this way of life, but also then the things we're doing. How is it shaping you? Who are you becoming? Mm. And so I, we just want to change gears slightly now to look at what do some of the opportunities of our culture give us. Because as Amy said right at the start, we're not here to knock our culture and be like, everything is terrible, guys. Let's become Amish and move to the country and not have electricity. There are moments where I'd like to do that. But we're not, we're not saying that. Because there are so many good things about living in 2021 in the UK. So many great things. And, but, but even just in terms of focusing on some of the opportunities that we have to share the good news of Jesus. It, I, um, uh, there was a, a guy at the gym he, I'd got to know a little bit. He's uh, um, one of the coaches there. Uh, and began to chat to him a little bit as he'd moved, um, moved to Cardiff a few months ago. And it all been sort of surface level stuff. Uh, and then uh, I think it was on World Mental Health Day, which I, I think was maybe a couple of months uh, ago or maybe six weeks ago or something. He just shares a post on Instagram opening up about his struggle with depression. And suddenly in that moment, I've got a chance now to chat to him about his journey. A chance to, to kind of have a bit more of a deep, a deep conversation with him about how he's really doing, not just the surface level. Oh, hey, it's like really early in the morning, isn't it? Ha ha, yeah, like, let's have a coffee. Type, you know, it's like, oh no, how, like, how are you actually doing? What a wonderful opportunity. People are so much more open to talking about their mental health struggles, which obviously in some ways can be overwhelming because we, we see uh, the depth of pain that is out there, but also gives us an amazing opportunity to sit with people in that pain to have compassion on them, to, to share where we've maybe been on a similar journey, and then to bring the hope of Jesus into that. Social justice. We live in a society that uh, is, is so kind of passionate about various social justice issues. That, that's great. We should be like Paul in Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul goes into Athens and, and the context here is, is Athens is just a, like a kind of a city that worships so many gods. They have altars to, I think it's almost like 30,000 gods. And, and, he, and he's chatting to them. And he, and he effectively just says like, hey guys, I, I see that you are so very religious. Like you guys just, you have this desire to, to know the divine. And you've actually even got an altar to the unknown god. 
Well, I'm here today to tell you who that unknown God is. That actually, you don't need the other 30,000. You just need him. That's what we should be doing here in this moment. We should be seeing the conversations that begin to happen, say, around climate change. And go, that is amazing. Hey, here is the heart of God in that. You know what? God's original design for us was to be stewards of this place, to care for it. We see the good in what you're doing, but let me then take it further and explain the gospel. And so that we, we have so many opportunities if we see them and we'll take them. Mm. And, and that's also then helpful to not, not get um, maybe disheartened when we see some of the, the ways that some of those social justice issues are being handled in society and going, oh, that, that's actually not, not really in line with the gospel. Mm. If you kind of look into kind of most of them, uh, like the, the modern philosophies of them have things that ring true with Christianity, but also have uh, pretty clear um, principles and, and uh, beliefs that are contrary to the way of Jesus. And so it's easy to get disheartened, like, well, everyone's adhering to these things. It's like, well, well no. Actually, most people, there's just something resonating in them for the justice of God. They just don't know what it is. And so it's just being warped slightly. And so we then have the amazing opportunity and privilege to be like, hey, that desire in you is so good. Let me show you how and where it should be really fulfilled. Let me show you how there is really hope in this battle. And so those are just a couple of, um, just a couple of the opportunities we have right now. Mm. Mm. Amy, I don't know if there's any that yeah, you want to share. Yeah, I just um, just want to throw into that. Um, some of you guys, guys may have heard this, um, but uh, something that Mark Sayers says is that um, people want the kingdom without the king. The kingdom of God is so attractive. It is full of peace and justice and mercy and compassion and freedom and no more pain and suffering. The kingdom of God is the most attractive thing. It's beautiful. And actually, everybody around us wants that. Everybody wants that. You know, people want the kingdom, but they don't necessarily want the king. And I think that's, you know, the thing that, that Paul has just been saying, you know, all of these things, like we have this most beautiful, attractive thing. And pe the people around us are searching for those same things, but they're searching for them in areas that are ultimately not gonna fulfill them. Some of us in this room are searching for those things in areas that are not gonna fulfill us. And we need to turn around and we need to see that ultimately, those things can only come from the king. They can only come from Jesus. And we have that to offer people, and he has that to offer you today, if you need to hear it right now. That's the only thing I wanted to add on to that. That's a great <laughs> thing, though. I would love to just spend a couple of moments just talking about the power of discernment. Mm. Uh, there's great scripture in Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, and, and this is Paul saying this. He says, my, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I would imagine that like, we're all kind of aware and, and probably agreed that there are so many different influences coming at us all of the time. From the moment we wake up and we check our phone and there's news notifications or maybe uh, an Instagram message that's popped up, instantly we're just, we're, we are being filled with influence. And it, as Amy said earlier, we spend so much time consuming digital content. It's not that all of that content is bad by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. But what we need to be able to do is to discern whether it is good and pleasing and true, whether it is in line with the way of Jesus or not. Because if, if we don't discern it, what ends up happening is we just fall into patterns of behavior that we don't even realize we're doing. And so here, here, just like... There's absolutely no shame in this. Here, here, the first thing they do when they wake up is they check their phone. Yeah? Well done to the half of you in the room who are honest. <laughs> yeah. you know, even when I don't mean to, I still do. 
How many of us in the room have opened our phone to, like, to, to send someone a WhatsApp or check something, and then like three minutes later have, have been like, why am I on Instagram? Yeah? Every day. Every day. <laughs> there are so many moments where I'm just like, oh, I'm doing, oh, well, how have I found myself doing this? Mm. And we just slip into those patterns of behavior. And then obviously once we're on Instagram, we're receiving loads of different worldviews and messages about how we should live a life when we chat to our friends. The TV programs we watch. Mm. My, my wife, Claire, she, she loves Grey's Anatomy, so she's got me watching Grey's Anatomy at the moment. Anyone else a Grey's Anatomy fan? Yes. Yes. Come on. Like, it's great. <laughs> I mean, it's also kind of, like, kind of surreal mm. in, in the worldview that they are putting forward throughout all of the series, mm. which is just sexual promiscuity. It's totally fine. I mean, hey, like, if people didn't sleep together on Grey's, it would be about one series long. It's 17 series at the moment, I think. You know? But it's, but it's giving us a worldview. And so what we need to be able to do is to discern, okay, mm. do I want to adhere to that worldview? Mm. Is that in line with the, the gospel? Even, even more so than that, just from the messages of culture, when people are giving us advice or talking about... Um, even, even talking about, say, different uh, Christian ethics at the moment. We need to be able to discern, okay, is this actually rooted in Scripture? Mm. Being rooted in our feelings isn't enough. Mm. It's got to be rooted in Scripture. Mm. In Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I believe the key for us to be resilient disciples is to get much better at discernment. I chat to so many people who just, they've never really exercised the muscle of discernment. Mm. They've never questioned. So just a couple of helpful questions would be, should I trust the person telling me this? What's the, what's the message behind the message? Mm. Do I see Jesus in this? Where in scripture do I see that? Mm. You might not know the answer. You might not necessarily know how to kind of go, well, is it in scripture or is it not? That's great stuff to be journeying with your small group. Mm. And I'm not saying that, you know, on some of these things as we wrestle with them and we think about the things that influence us and discernment, that it's like a super quick process that we just have, you know, one small group on an issue and then we're like, great, I've landed it. Now, some, some of this stuff, it, takes, it, may, it might take years to wrestle with worldviews and unpack things and have things revealed in our hearts. But if we can learn to discern, if we can learn to walk through the journey, journey with people, mm-hmm. then we can come to much, much greater freedom. I think one of the things that we need to be able to do in discerning is not be afraid to disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, for greater harmony in society, we don't need to disagree less. We just need to disagree better. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to say, to, to feel safe to be able to be like, I actually don't think I agree with that view. Mm. And go, well, hey, like, why do you think that? Please like, explain it to me. Help me see. Especially when we're debating with other Christians, maybe around, like, let's say like the Christian sexual ethic, that'd be a great one. When we're like, kind of discussing that. And, and kind of the more progressive side of the church is wanting, wanting to uh, kind of do away with the traditional Christian sexual ethic. Well, let's just engage in the conversation. Be like, hey, can you, let's talk through scripture. Mm. I want to see where you're coming from. Let me explain where I'm coming from. This is what I'm seeing in the scripture. Let's discern what is the will of God in this through the scriptures. I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit. Amy, save me. <laughs> no, it's good. I think it's so good. And I think just to say as well, we want to do that um, in a way that means that we're not um, giving in to some of the skepticism that we can see in the world around us. Because I think um, the reality is that the world is very skeptical right now, and when I say the world, I mean like our society, which is not the entire world, but um, the world that we are currently living in um, is very skeptical. I mean, cancel culture is huge, and all of these things, you know, everybody is skeptical of each other, everybody is, you know, mistrusting, or, you know, not trusting each other. You know, I was reading something the other day about, you know, the phrase like, okay, boomer, Right, and it's like, okay, boomer. And it's like, literally, we just disregard anything that comes from the older generations because we think that they're out of touch. That's like, gen- that's a genuine thing. Mm-hmm. 
like this generation and the generations that come after us are skeptical of what it is that the older generations have to say instead of looking to them for wisdom and guidance. We are skeptical of each other across the generations. We would be skeptical of each other potentially in this room. Skepticism is huge. And so I think that everything that Paul is saying is so true and so good, but we want to make sure that we are questioning things and we are discerning things in a way that is uh, true to how God would want us to do that and not just giving into the skepticism of the culture around us and not just getting skeptical of each other, you know, having conversations, reading up, researching. And I think this does lead us into, because we really need to make sure that we round things off so that we can still pray, but this does really lead us into the practical of how we become resilient disciples. You know, we have run through so much of uh, the culture around us right now, of what that actually means for us, but, you know, really getting into it, like, how do we do this? How do we become resilient disciples? And, and I think... To be honest, the biggest thing that I would say is getting into the scriptures, getting into your Bible, let it saturate your thinking. Because if the Bible is constantly in your thinking and the word of God is constantly in your thinking, as you are discerning, you will be basing everything on what the scripture says, on what the Bible says. You know, I've heard it said that we should always have the newspaper in one hand and we should have the Bible in the other. You know, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. We need to be aware of the culture. We need to be aware of, of, uh, of all of these things. But we need to be constantly balancing that out with what does Scripture say? What does Jesus say? And, you know, I feel like, um, you know, so often we come along to these kind of things and people are like, oh, you, you, you know, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. And we go away and we're like, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah, I need to read the Bible. Sure. Tick, tick box. I'm serious, guys. You need to read your Bibles. Our generation, and, you know, we are in this generation, our generation does not know its Bible. The generation coming after us does not know the Bible. We need to know the Bible. If we're going to be resilient, if we are going to withstand the things that are coming against us or coming against the Word of God, we need to know the Word of God. We need to be able to understand that. And if we want to sow into it, if we want to, like we said at the start, if we want to bring welfare into our culture, if we want to bring the kingdom of God, we need to understand what the kingdom of God is. We need to understand what it is that God says and what it is that he wants to speak into it. So I would just really encourage you, if you action nothing else on the back of this seminar, please, please, Look into how you're going to get into the Bible. I promise you, you won't regret it. On that, I just want to um, add, because I, I know for some of us in the room, uh, reading the Bible is maybe something we've really, really struggled with. Maybe reading just in general is something we find really hard. Or maybe we've tried to read the Bible before and we're just like, oh, it's boring, it doesn't make sense. A really helpful um, kind of way of looking at it that I've found in my own life is, is how do we absorb the truth of Scripture? And say, look, reading might be really, really difficult for you. And say, don't feel that, like, don't just go, okay, the only way that I can do this is to sit in my room by myself and read a chapter of the Bible a day. Like, that's a good thing. Obviously, that is a good thing. But I think so often we can box it into that, can't we? But maybe that is really difficult for you. So why don't you just arrange to go for coffee with two of your friends each week and just be like, hey, can we uh, read a couple of passages together and can we just pull out what is going on in there? That is absorbing the truth of Scripture. Listen to someone read the Bible. Like David Suchet, I, I said this a couple of years ago when I spoke, like David Suchet can read you the Bible. Some of you don't know who that is, I feel for you. Is he Poirot? He is. Oh, God. oh dear. D who, who knew who he was? Well, oh, okay, that's all right. I, okay. I knew he was Poirot. Yeah, that's I good. just you, wanted to check. Yeah, just, no, that's fair enough, that's fair enough. But you know, like, just let it fill your mind. Watch like the Bible Project. They are an amazing resource. Free videos on YouTube and on their website that just really short animated videos that explain different books of the Bible, give you overviews of them, but also different themes. That's an amazing way. I'm not going to say that's replacing reading the Bible, but if you, if you open the scriptures and, and you're like, I have absolutely no idea kind of what's going on in this passage, 
just go watch the Bible Project video. That would be a really helpful way for you to just understand what's going on and help you absorb the truth of it. And so I just want you, if you are here and you're like, I've tried to read the Bible before, I can't do it. Just get creative with how you absorb the truth of the scripture in your week. Mm. I just want to throw in another couple of like practical things just really quickly before we finish. One thing is to actively engage in intergenerational relationships. Seek out people who are older than you and invest in those relationships and those friendships. If we are going to combat the individualism and the mistrust that we are seeing across our society and our culture, then as the church, we need to be family. We need to model and we need to invest in what it looks like to be family across generations. So I would just encourage you, if you currently are not investing in friendship or relationship with somebody who is a little bit older than you, Seek it out. Seek it out in your church. Like there will be people who would love to spend time with you and I can guarantee that. Seek out those relationships and those friendships. You know, Neil Young said something last year. He said, a hand up and a hand down. Every generation should have a hand up where there is investment and there is friendship and a hand down where we are investing and we are, we are building friendship. And then another thing that I just wanted to, uh, to say also is, is that, um, uh, you know, we uh, are in a place post-pandemic where actually we have become more consumerist than ever. We were already consumerist as a society and now we've just exacerbated it and it's become even worse. Church... During the lockdown, we could turn our TVs on and we could just watch church. Like, we literally didn't even have to change out of our pajamas. We didn't have to do anything. And so actually, you know, we um, are at risk as a generation of leaning into entitlement and consumerism a little bit. And I would just encourage you as a way that we can, um, as disciples and followers of Jesus, um, combat against that in our society, is we can seek out opportunities to serve to serve the people around us, to do what Jesus asked us to do, to pick up our cross, to sacrifice, to die to ourselves. You know, we don't want to be consumers. We don't want to rock up to church and be like, how's this feeding me? How is this small group feeding me? Am I comfortable? Is it making me happy? What we want is to be people who are sowing into those environments, who are serving, who are sacrificing, who are giving of ourselves and as we do that, we will benefit. As we do that, it will combat that sense of consumerism and entitlement that our culture is feeding into us. And it will bless those around us as it blesses us. And so that was the only other thing that I wanted to say.